Right. Thank you, guys. Part of the summon for all of creation to sing praise that he has risen, that he's alive. My name is Scott. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. And thank you so much for being a part of this special gathering as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, we are in a series of talks, as a matter of fact, right around this whole theme that uh, we've been calling uh, Being the People of God. And it kind of raises that question, um, who gets to be the people of God? And if God was open to your being one of his people, would you want to be one of his people? What does that look like? What difference does that make? And how is that made possible? Of course, the resurrection is what makes all that possible. We're going to talk about that for just a few minutes and unpack that a little bit. In a moment, I'm going to be reading from the Old Testament book of Psalms. A favorite psalm for a lot of people, Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up, you'll be ready to read that with me in just a moment. When we start talking about the whole resurrection thing, the the death, the burial, the life of Jesus, uh, who is He? We have a lot of anecdotal kinds of things. Maybe you... Uh, spent some time in church at some point, and you picked up a story about this and a story about that. But who is he really? Now, one of the apostles, a guy named John, does a fantastic job in his gospel of kind of unpacking in a very large package who Jesus is. Uh, it just happens to be my favorite gospel out of the four. And he does so with terms and phrases that are just packed with meaning, with, with nuance. But here's the deal. For you to really grasp a lot of what John says about Jesus, you have to know some Old Testament for it to make sense. And because of all that, we have been spending a number of weeks since January 1, as a matter of fact, in a read-through-the-Bible kind of effort. And we're doing a certain number of readings every week. And by the end of 52 weeks, we will have read the entire Bible. And if you've been doing that journey with us, then some of what we're about to say from John is going to make a lot of sense to you because you've just been there. You've just been looking at these things out of the very old ancient Testament. If you've not been a part of that journey and you're interested, listed there in your order of service near the bottom uh, are some instructions about how you can go to our website, you can get the reading plan, you can start this week and begin that journey with us, and I think you'll find it very profitable, very fruitful to join us in that kind of way. But for example, John will tell us in the first chapter, the first verse, Jesus is God. Let's not have any confusion about what we're going to say about this man, Jesus. Yes, we know that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was raised in Nazareth, and there's all kinds of stories about childhood and the adulthood, but let's be clear, he is God. And in fact, he created all that there is. He's God and creator. And then he goes on to say in the next couple of chapters, Jesus is in fact the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if you're going, what does that mean? This is why you do the journey with us. Because in Genesis, we discovered what it means for Jesus to be creator and what all that looks like. When we got into the Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, then we began to understand what does it mean to be the Lamb and to be the Lamb of God who takes away sin. 
Then John says, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And if you're now in the journey with us as we're going through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you will see picture after picture after picture of what these things mean, Messiah and Christ. Jesus, John will tell us, is the bread of life. And it's a throwback to when Moses was in the wilderness with the people and God began to give them bread daily, manna from heaven. Jesus is that bread. Jesus is the light of the world. Go back to the Feast of Tabernacles and all the celebration of light that happens around that. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm the one that penetrates the darkness of this world. I'm the one that allows people to see the person of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God. Jesus is the good shepherd. And strangely, that seemingly innocuous phrase gets him in a lot of trouble. So much so, and that's in John chapter 10, when we get to chapter 11, you see Jesus justifying everything that he just said in chapter 10 about being the good shepherd by raising Lazarus from the dead. Who are you that you could say you're the good shepherd? Here's who I am. I'm the one that holds life in my hand. Lazarus, come forth. And out of that context, he said, and I am your resurrection and I am your life. And if you want to someday be able to rise from the dead and know God forever, heaven is your home, I'm that way. And as a matter of fact, he says in chapter 14, categorically, unmistakably, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In the context of inclusivity, would you like to be people of God? Come. There is this exclusive claim. And by the way, I'm the only way to get there. Now, as we said, John's gospel is just packed with meaning that our journey through the Old Testament helps us to make sense of. For example, this whole idea of Jesus being the good shepherd. What's the big deal about that? Well, if we were to take the time, and we won't today, to look into chapter 10, and it's a great read, verse by verse, we would find out that Jesus uh, makes sure that we know the good shepherd, the shepherd that really cares about his sheep, is the one who will actually lay down his life for the sheep. Because sheep get into perilous situations with predators, and the good shepherd would even lay down his life for the sheep and go... I'm doing that for you. The good shepherd knows his sheep. In ancient days, shepherds even named their sheep and called their sheep by name when it was time to come into the fold. He goes, I know them. They know me. Another voice could call them and they would not go to that voice. They come to the voice of the shepherd that they know. Which led Jesus to say, my sheep know my voice. And they follow me. Now these kinds of things created huge division. And some began to follow Jesus earnestly at that point, And some began to plot to end his life at that point. 
And I, I suspect even in this moment, you're still going, I don't get that. I don't see what was so controversial about that. So let me just bring it home a little bit more with some more pointed questions for you for today, for right now. Do you believe Jesus is God? Not just a good man, not just a, a prophetic kind of individual, not just this great moralist, not this wonderful teacher, but in fact, God. Do you believe that Jesus is the way? With all the other beneficial things that can happen from all of the other faiths, they fall short in fully connecting a person to God and to an eternal destiny called heaven. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? That the hope for you to someday come back into an afterlife when this life is over rests in Him. These are big questions that really deserve careful examination if you've not been there before. Do you, in fact, know Jesus as the Good Shepherd? And see, here's another point that's so different from all of the other faiths and all of the other religions in this world. Jesus is alive. He's not some dead, sterile, little g God. He is a living God. And with us today and knowable in relationship. Do you know him? Not just know about him. Here's a fact. Here's a, here's a tidbit. Here, here's a piece of information. No. Know him. You say, well, what would that even look like? Well, the people in the Old Testament knew what that looked like. They talked about this all the time. In Genesis 48:15, Jacob exclaimed that God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The psalmist said in Psalm 100, verse 3, Know the Lord. He is God. It is He who made us. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. I could do dozens and dozens of verses like that, where across the Old Testament, they understood God to be a living God, a present God, a knowable God, who was like a shepherd who led His sheep and cared for His sheep. It's one of the most dominant metaphors across the entire Bible. And so rather than doing a big, long survey about all that, let's just camp for a few minutes in one of the favorites, Psalm 23. And if you have that open, let's read it together. Some of you have committed it to memory because it's that special. Probably written by King David. Probably written in a context of great distress. And as some of you will get to in your readings, you'll find that there's a time when his son Absalom tries to take the throne away from David. And in that coup, in that rebellion, a lot of heartbreaking things take place. It's probably in that context that David said this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you've been reading that with me, keep your Bible open because we're going to keep making reference to those verses. Notice how the psalm begins. The Lord. Now, for those of you that have been doing this journey with me, you notice those are all small caps. L-O-R-D. Which is the special covenant name of God that we learned back in Exodus. Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I Am, is not just shepherd, not just the shepherd, my shepherd. How personal. How relational. Let me just say four words to you and then we'll be through. The first is this adequacy. In those first three verses... Oh, how adequate. Oh, how able. How more than able the great shepherd is to care for his people. He leads them to green pastures. He causes them to lie down by still waters. You have to make sheep do good, nourishing things for themselves. They tend to be a little slow. And sometimes don't get it. And the Good Shepherd understands that and works with them in those kinds of ways. Uh, this is why the metaphor is so strong. Because we are so much like sheep. And not only that, he takes them to green pastures and to meadows. He causes them to lie down by still waters. Because they won't often drink from running waters, moving waters. He'll take them to still waters. So he'll dam up a brook so that there will be a still pond for them to drink from. Uh, Twenty-two years ago, on Easter, this church began out of that verse right there. Those pastures and meadows, waters, brooks, became meadow brook, a place where God provides. And out of that provision... You see that he then will guide them and in, in, uh, order their steps in such a way that their soul is ref refreshed. The soul is renewed. Adequacy. And then think about this word. Serenity. Serenity. Now, when you talk about the adequacy of God to provide... Pastures, meadows, streams, brooks. Is it that way every day, all day? No. So when we have an occasion where the pastures and the brooks are not there, that's not to say that God is no longer providing, but that is to say that God is guiding. When there are times where provision is like, where is that? It's a time of guiding. 
And so he talks about how we go through the valley of the shadows of death. These ravines, these crevasses. Why would they go through those kinds of places? Because they are going from one place of provision to another place of provision. This going through the valleys of the shadows for people of God is not because they have sinned. It's not because they have wandered away. It's not because they have become wayward. It's because in the following of the shepherd, sometimes you go through crevasses that have great darkness and shadows that are perilous. And his presence is there with you. He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. You've not wandered away. He's right there with you, guiding you to another place of provision, to another place of adequacy. Now, in that valley, we come to know him in ways that we don't often know him in that pasture. In fact, we come to know him in such a way that we feel his power. We feel his protection, which brings us to the word of certainty. Because in his adequacy, in that serenity, in that sense of well-being, well cared for, in his presence, we also have that sense of certainty. We're his. He's ours. And when predatory type things in this fallen world happen... His rod and His staff comfort us. That rod was like a club. And it would be a big blunt-ended thing, sometimes have spikes on it. And if there was some kind of wild cat or some kind of bear or whatever that would come in a predatory way toward the sheep, He literally would go and meet that animal, swinging that club, looking to smack it across the face and stun it or turn it away. That rod comforts me, brings me a sense of certainty that I'm in his care. The staff was a way that he would help hold my life back or corral my life into the fold to make sure that I was accounted for. And once I was accounted for and I was in the fold, then he would talk about preparing a banquet, laying a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. Bring the sheep into the fold. Usually a fold had this kind of uh, walled uh, rocks and bricks and all that kind of thing around. And the shepherd would actually be lying across the doorway. He was the door. Reminiscent of things Jesus said in John 10, I am the door to the sheepfold. And when they would be in the safety and security of that sheepfold with predators and enemies all around, then spread out a feeding trough, water, things that they would need in the fold. He spreads a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Certainty, well-being, peace, serenity, adequacy. You see why it's such a big deal about who your shepherd is? Who else can do these things? And then in the last place, we're told that our shepherd is as such that like goodness and mercy, he follows us. He pursues us all the days of our lives. 
so that we ultimately dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I uh, had a professor in college who uh, was in the religion department. And uh, one day he's walking down the hall toward his classroom, and a couple of my friends are walking behind him, just walking down the hall behind him. But being clever in that moment, he turned around and he said, Oh, surely goodness and mercy are following after me. Which one of you is goodness? Which one of you is mercy? And, you know, they had a little laugh about it and so on. But to this day, Mike Cantor is still known to everybody as mercy. It's stuck. But sometimes when you think about goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life, you can be, be thinking about that in a rather distant way. Gosh, if they could only catch up to me so that I could have a little goodness and mercy. But the point of all that is this. It is a very active pursuit in the sense that when life is all over and you are in eternity and you are looking back on what was your temporal life in this world, you're going, goodness and mercy were all over me all the time in ways that I didn't know. Not only follow after me, not only pursue after me, but capture me all the time. And that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, what leads your life? What's the shepherd of your life? Is your shepherd able to do what this shepherd is able to do? How do we respond to that? I asked you at the beginning, if you had the opportunity to be people of God, would you want to be people of God? After we talked about what's it look like to be the good shepherd, to be a, a, a sheep within the fold of the good shepherd, what would that look like in less agrarian, less metaphorical kind of language? What's it look like for us today? Let me just say briefly this. It looks like Jesus leads, we follow. That's what it looks like. We are not left to our own ingenuity. We're not left to our best guesses. We're not left to what seems right to us or, or what seems right to the culture around us. We zero in on the person of Jesus and the way that he is and who he is and the purposes of what he's about. We orient our life totally around that. What's it mean to be people of God? What's it mean for him to be the shepherd and we'd be the sheep? He leads. We follow. He provides and protects. We trust. Now, that doesn't mean that we are passive and we just sit back and never do anything, kick out the lazy boy, you know, he's going to provide and protect. We're engaged in this life with him. We are following him wherever he goes and whatever he's up to. And sometimes his leadership takes us through valleys of shadows that are kind of deadly, that are kind of risky, that take a lot out of our lives. And we trust. Sometimes He leads us to give of ourselves, to empty of our resources, to seek to be a blessing to someone else, to pour ourselves out. We trust. He will provide. He will protect. People come after our lives, criticizing, uh, jeering, mocking. He will protect. It looks like Jesus lavishes. And we enjoy. 
What did the text say? The text said, He will anoint my head with oil, which is a sanctifying, a setting apart, a making special for Himself. He will anoint my head with oil. My cup overruns. He lavishes us. Now, this is not some kind of cheap prosperity gospel uh, where he, you know, is all about us having fat bank accounts and late model cars and near mansion homes and all that kind of thing. But the things that really matter, the things of faith and love and hope and peace and kindness, these kinds of things he lavishes upon us and we enjoy. Not some kind of flippant, superficial uh, happiness, depending on what the circumstances are, but at a deep level, it is well. There is a contentment. There is a satisfaction that permeates us so that He is most glorified when we are most satisfied with Him. This is what it looks like. We follow, we trust, we enjoy. And it all strikes a lot of us as a little bit foreign. Because we have so minimized this down to being a good person. Doing religious things. And friends, sometimes that's not even in the same ballpark of what we're talking about in this relationship with the Good Shepherd. So, let me close with these questions. In light of what we've been talking about, would you continue to consider the evidence? Make an informed decision. Who is this Jesus? Is He God? Is He the way? Is He the resurrection? Is He the Good Shepherd? Examine these things. Weigh these things. See if there's evidence that would cause you to believe. This is not, faith is not a step in the dark. It's a step into the light. The revelation of who God is. Will you follow Jesus as the shepherd of your life? Not talking about I'm going to be a, a better person. Not talking about I'm going to attend church or do religious things. Will you make Him the center of your life and you will order your life around Him as the shepherd of your life? Will you be in the fold and not wandering out there alone? The metaphor over and over and over again has the sheep together in the fold with the shepherd. And in our individualistic day, we want to make much of how we can be spiritual and we can be connected with God out on the mountains and out on the, the water and, and wherever else. And I don't have to have a community of faith. The Bible has a word for that. It's called baloney. You have to have, you have to have community. God designed it that way where we would not... Know Him simply alone, but we would know Him together. These are weighty 
decisions that I encourage you to consider carefully. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I'm grateful for these friends in the house today and listening to this later. Such matters and issues of eternal importance. We are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to help us make sense of this, to help it to come home to our heart, to help it become conviction. And so we pray, would you work in our hearts and in our thoughts in ways that we can sort through all of this well? In Jesus' name, amen.